Welcome to the Startup of the Year podcast, where each episode we showcase exciting new companies from around the world. This podcast is produced by Established, creators of the Startup of the Year program. Established is focused on helping organizations with their innovation, startup, and communication strategies. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Start of the Year podcast. I'm Frank Gruber, the co-founder and co-CEO of Established, as well as the co-founder of Established Ventures, the team behind the Start of the Year community and this very podcast. On this episode, I'm talking to Lo Tony, who is the founding uh, and managing partner of Plexo Capital, which is an uh, institutional investment firm uh, he incubated and spun out of Google Ventures, or GV. Uh, Plexo Capital invests in emerging seed stage VCs led by diverse teams and invests directly into companies as well, sourced through the portfolio of VCs where Plexo Capital has invested. So prior to Plexo, Lowe has a great history of, of working in a number of different companies, one of which was uh, being on the investment team of Google Ventures, or GV, where he focused on marketplaces, uh, mobile, and consumer products. Uh, before Google Ventures or GV, he was uh, a partner at Comcast Ventures, where he led up their Catalyst Fund and worked uh, with the the main fund, where he focused on mobile messaging and marketplaces. He was at Zenga, with uh, being the GM of, of Zenga Poker, um, as well as uh, other roles at Nike, eBay. I think I first met him through a startup that he was working with. So we've got we've known each other for a while, and he's he's done a lot, and I'm excited to be uh, talking with him here shortly. Before we jump into the interview, though, I wanted to uh, remind everyone that we're going to be doing some things around um, the upcoming uh, festivities. Right now, this this time of year, we'd normally be jumping on an airplane and heading down to Austin, Texas um, for South by Southwest. We are not going to be doing that this year, but we will be doing some some spontaneous uh, events and opportunities for innovation to come together. So uh, we're calling it South by Southwest uh, Serendipity and Innovation Events, and uh, it'll be happening um the week of the 15th of March, so coming up soon, uh, which will include some online events as well as some clubhouse festivities. So check out what we're doing. Uh, you'll learn more if you go to um, est.us forward slash sxsw21, and you can register and learn more about the, the different things we're going to be up to. Um, we also, uh, one, of the, one of the programming opportunities is going to be a segment around government funding opportunities for startups, uh, as well as a venture capitalist reverse pitch. So we'll have investors actually pitching um, their funds to startups, which is kind of interesting, and we'll switch it up a little bit, and we're excited to be bringing it all to everyone here. So hopefully you can join us uh, March 15th and 16th. Uh, EST.us forward slash SXSW21 is the way to get more details. And then we'll also be doing some things on Clubhouse. So if you're on Clubhouse, please do follow at Frank Gruber or join our club. We have a club called the Startup Community Club, and you can go join it, search for it, and join it right away. So just look up Startup Community, and uh, you should see myself and some of our other team members on there and join it right away. Finally, I wanted to take a moment to share a couple more updates. First off, our Startup of the Year application is now currently open. So if you're a startup looking for exposure and becoming a part of the, uh, the amazing community that we've been building here at uh, Startup of the Year, you can go to startupofyear.com forward slash application. And then finally, if you're looking for different programs uh, to help with different startup opportunities, we have a number. So if you go to establish.us forward slash programs, you can learn more about the various opportunities, uh, start, startup opportunities for your, your company from across the, the globe. Uh, we've got a number of different partners we work with and organizations with throughout the ecosystems that we work with. So check it out, EST or establish.us. US forward slash programs. Learn more, sign up for updates, and we'll be notifying you when we have new programs and new opportunities for your company. 
Oh, and one more thing I forgot to mention. Super excited this last week uh, to hear and be able to share the news that Kamana Health had been acquired by Triage Staffing. And Kamana Health is a company that came through our Start of the Year program. We're super excited for their success. Uh, we actually uh, had them come through in 2019 down in Memphis, and they were part of that um, that alumni, I guess you could say, group and a part of our community. And then we, we re-synced uh, up with them last year uh, in March, around this time, and they were out raising, and we invested in them. And uh, sure enough, here they are um, a year later, basically announcing their acquisition. So super excited for the team and what they're up to. And so wanted to share that success here. So congratulations, Kamana, and look forward to continuing to follow your journey. All right, let's jump in with the interview. I wanted to kind of dive in with your product background, because we mentioned a few things. You mentioned that startup as well. Um, that's a lot of product background, product background. What made you get interested in venture capital? Well, I started getting interested in venture capital shortly after learning about it. I was in grad school at Cal, and we were fortunate that a lot of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs came through the program to, to talk to folks and provide their insights and give us a glimpse into what their world looked like. I initially went to grad school because I wanted to do investment banking in the tech space. But once I learned more about what venture capitalists did, I thought, wow, that's actually more interesting to me. You almost think about investment banking on the back end of the process, taking a company public. But I thought it was pretty interesting to work with entrepreneurs on the front end of the process and throughout their journey before the public markets or some kind of M&A event. So that's really what it was. It was almost, you know, just kind of circumstance being at Cal and just meeting the right people. That makes sense. And you've also worked at Zynga, as I mentioned, and Art.com, eBay, um, Nike, as well as others. How important do you think that previous experience has been, you know, when you made that change and jumped into venture? So I always say to people, think about the context the person is coming from when they provide feedback or talk about their background or paths. And for me, I tend to like folks in early stage venture that come from a product background. And, and the reason being is that was the guidance I was given. So I mentioned how I learned about venture capital while a student at Cal. And when I talked to a lot of those VCs that came through, I asked, hey, how do I be like you? I wanna be a venture capitalist. And they told me a path that they thought was really interesting, product management to, to running a P&L to being a, a CEO. And that's the path that I, that I chose. So I do think maybe someone might look at my background and not really be able to understand or make sense out of it, but it actually was methodical from my perspective. You know, I wanted to be able to, to learn product management because I knew that was really like being a mini CEO based on the conversations I had with a lot of these folks that were, that were in venture capital. And, you know, like I'm, I've got a lot of gray hair, so, you have to go back to when I was in grad school. <laughs> you got some too. I think they call yours more of a silver fox. When we met, we didn't. When we met, we didn't. I, we, we, were, we were young back then. We were, we were yeah. young. We were young. And, you know, I think, you know, being young at that time, when you looked at a lot of the folks in venture capital, they were a lot of founders uh, and CEOs of companies or, you know, experienced tech execs. And so the, the experience that I wanted to have that, they reflected upon to help them with their success was that understanding of product management. So I think if one thinks about the 
playbook for product management is very similar to the playbook for early stage venture capital. A product manager has to identify market opportunities or problems that need to be solved. Who are the people that have those problems, the potential customers? How many of them are there? You know, what's the market size? How could there be a business model around that, both to be able to, you know, in, a, in an efficient manner as, and as cheaply as possible, get access to those customers, convert them, and then have them realize the value by paying for the product. And so, you know, that's the playbook for product management. It's also the playbook for, for early stage venture capital. So that's what I set out to do. And I think for what I am setting out to do, that experience is, is super helpful. You know, I think the ability to be able to understand product management, I think also understanding, you know, what a P&L is driven by and how to be able to control the levers to be able to scale that both through strategy as well as through getting the right people in the right roles and then being able to motivate them. And then finally, I think there's a little bit of empathy that is brought to the table when someone has actually been in the shoes of the entrepreneur that's sitting across the table from them. And I think the entrepreneurs recognize that as well. So I, I, all those things together, my past experience, companies both big and strong, you know, small, the product side, general management, and even being a CEO, I, I just think that that provides a, a fairly unique perspective, but one of many perspectives and paths that can lend themselves to success in this industry. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I really think that's a really interesting um, tie between, you know, saying you're as a product manager, you're kind of like the mini CEO and you are, you've actually got more control in some ways than CEOs do. So because you're actually in it, looking at all the various aspects of how this is going to happen. And that's really interesting. So I, I love that. So jumping in, you, you then you jumped into um, to venture kind of working with, with a couple different funds. You were doing uh, Comcast first and then Comcast Ventures first and then GV. Um, how did you, how did that kind of happen? Like what, cause it's, I mean, it's not easy to break into VC to begin with. How did that kind of transition? It's not easy to break into VC. I've been fairly fortunate and blessed in my career. So God, going all the way back to Comcast Ventures. So what ended up happening is at Comcast Ventures every week, they would do an informal lunch with the, the team and they'd invite someone to come in and cover a particular topic. And I got invited in, you know, I don't even, oh, I, I met one of the partners there at, a, at an event. And then he invited me to come in and speak on some of the trends that I was seeing at the intersection of social and e-commerce. Uh, again, you know, this was back in probably, oh boy, maybe 2013 even, 2013, maybe, maybe 2014, I think 2013. And went in, got to know the team, talked with them, and started to really, I was still in an operating role and that role was winding down. We got the company acquired and I started to think about what was next. And the team reached out and just kind of gave me some options and said, hey, it'd be great if you're, there was interest. You know, why don't you come and talk with us about working as a partner in both the, the Catalyst Fund, which is a seed stage fund that Comcast Ventures set up for um companies founded by people of color and females, and then split time with the main fund as well. So that was pretty interesting. It was, you know, a way for me to get into to venture capital. So I did that and, you know, had a great time, built some great relationships that I still have to this day. And then I actually was in the fortunate position of 
I met the the founder of Google Ventures, GV, Bill Maris, and you know, I, he he and I had some great conversations and saw a really interesting opportunity and and was recruited over to to GV. So that was you know two amazing experiences and really set the foundation for what I'm doing today. All right, let's let's shift gears now. You you were at GV for a little while and you spun out. I think I read this somewhere. You spun out. Plexo Capital out of it. So let's talk about that. How, what made you decide to like lay your own shingle and get this going on your own? Right. The ability to be able to, to go to a firm like GV was amazing in and of itself. And one of the things that was happening, this was around 2015, Larry and Sergey were still deeply involved. GV is the early stage investing unit for Alphabet, the holding company for Google. And Larry and Sergey wanted the team to deploy more capital there was a really good insight around the number of seed stage venture firms that had been created over the past few years and an even deeper insight around the fact that there was much more diversity in terms of ethnicity and gender at those firms as opposed to the big multi-billion in assets under management multi-stage firms. And so one of the things that emerged from that is this understanding that, you know, we were looking at black GPs at the time, general partners, the people that lead venture funds. And we saw that there was a different path that was taken into venture capital and also just a really different network of contacts to be able to access differentiated deal flow. And then also a different lens to evaluate those market opportunities as well as the entrepreneurs. And so at GV, we made five uh, investments into seed stage funds led by black GPs. And it worked for us. It provided us with access to deal flow. So that was a direct benefit to us. And then for the GPs, it was a benefit to them because it allowed them to be able to go to prospective LPs during their fundraising process and say, hey, we got GV as right. an LP. So that, you know, that meant something that was kind of a really positive signal that could be mm -hmm. sent. So when I looked at this, you know, we basically at GV put together a strategy around these insights to be able to help us increase the number of deals that came through and generate some alpha. And that was really the aha moment for me. So in February of 2016, I started to think, what would a standalone platform look like that used the same strategy? And, you know, I presented that to, to, my, to my former manager, David Crane, the CEO of GV. And I'll say, you know, that proposing that I start a fund based on this strategy that was working internally, probably not something that would go across very well at, at other places. But right. at GV, you know, that Google DNA is, is really unique. You know, the fact that there is the ability to do the, you know, the the 20 percent time right so my my former manager david crane he said look you know we don't have 20 percent time at gv but if we did that would be something that i think would be really interesting so what i did is i got the green light to look at it a little bit deeper i put my product manager hat back on and approached it more from a product management perspective because that's my training and i tried to think about okay what would this model look like you know, what are the actual problems or what's the opportunity? Who are the potential, you know, customers? In other words, limited partners that might be interested in this. What would that product need to look like to actually differentiate itself within the market? 
And I came up with Plexo Capital around Thanksgiving and got the green light to be able to incubate it. So in essence, I transitioned from being an investing partner to being an entrepreneur in residence. Mm. But instead of the traditional entrepreneur in residence or EIR of you know building a company, I was building Plexo Capital, which I did for a year and a half and then spun out in March of 2018 with a strategy that really just expanded on what we were doing at GV. So looking at going after and investing into black GPs and then expanded it to also include female GPs and other people of color. Because during my research, I discovered there were some similarities between all those groups and then kind of came up with the model of being able to invest as a limited partner and try to bring some additional value to the table to both those GPs as well as our LPs. So when I spun out, Alphabet came on as our anchor investor. I brought along the original five commitments that we had from GV, those capital accounts. And then I got Intel Capital, Cisco Investments, the Royal Bank of Canada, Kapoor Capital, Hampton University, and, and historically black college where I went to school, and the Ford Foundation, and brought all those groups on as our as our investors into Plexo Capital. So we raised a, a $42.5 million fund one, our debut fund. Mm-hmm. And we've been really laser focused on our North Star that we developed at GV and executing against that strategy. That's amazing. Okay, so you're you're now investing in investors, right? So you're looking for those general partners. And you're also investing in startups. So let's dive into, you talked about a little bit, but let's, so you're basically doing fund of funds, right? Is that that how they're? So I don't call it that. I think of us as being a little bit different than a traditional fund of funds, because what we're doing is we're focused on identifying all of the different entry points to invest into the ecosystem, investing into other venture funds being one investing directly into companies that we source from the portfolios of our GPs being another, and then also even looking at other places, which we can talk about as well. But we really look at ourselves as an institutional investor allocating capital globally throughout the full stack of financing opportunities in the startup ecosystem. All right. So you've invested in about 20 different funds uh, to date. Is that is that accurate? Some of them right. are pretty well known. I mean, out there, uh, Precursory Ventures, uh, Precursory Ventures, uh, Kindery Ventures, Equal Ventures. Um, are, are there new, so how are you now approaching other funds as well? Are you continuing to look for those? Yes, so we've done 20 funds, as mentioned. Five were from the activity that we did at GV because I brought those capital accounts along with me. And then we initiated 15 new LP commitments from Plexo Capital. So yes, we are looking at funds and in essence, we want those general partners leading venture funds that are going to be the franchises of the future. And we think about them within different buckets. So one bucket is the sub $15 million bucket. So people that are starting funds or the first fund is gonna be sub 15 million. Then we have another bucket that we did in fund one, which is 15 million to 100. And those are typically, it could be first time funds, but in some instances, there are some fund twos or even fund threes in that bucket as well. And we're in the planning process for fund two. We'll add a third bucket, 
which is funds that are between 100 million to about 250 million. And with that bucket, we're really recognizing a, a pattern that we're seeing with a lot of GPs that have seen the opportunity to have an entry point of a Series A, but a smaller, more traditional Series A. So, you know, a five to about a $15 million Series A, where the mm -hmm. returns can still be attractive at that entry point. So I would say, you know, within those two outer bands, the sub 15 and the 100 to 250, that's where we will likely see the, the most additions. Um, we have some folks that have that have graduated, right? Mm -hmm. So their first fund was in between 15 to 100, and now they're raising a larger fund that goes into that 100 and 250 bucket. So we'll replace some of those funds, um, and then we'll add some new ones as well into the the 15 to 100. But you know, it's it's getting pretty competitive. You know, I think yeah. when when we first started, the conversation was not where it is today with regard to the interest in increasing diversity in the ecosystem, right. venture capital as well. Uh, we've now seen a number of firms emerge and we have a database of over 1100 funds that we track where wow. they meet our criteria. And in fact, um, you know, we've spoken to over three or 400 funds um, to evaluate them. So we like to talk to everyone. We like to keep tabs of what's out there, you know, wish that we could invest in all these amazing GPs, but you know, it's just, it's just not our model. We've got some pretty strict criteria and, you know, we're blessed to be in the position where we are. And, you know, we're only as good as the GPs that we work with. And we have some great GPs that are part of our network. You mentioned a strict criteria. Just so I understand it, you mean the, the, the firms that you invest in have to do a certain thing? What are you looking for in the high level? And if you could give a little yeah, bit more. So number one, one of the GPs needs to be a woman or a person of color. And then once we get past that, we start to look for what the firm is actually focused on investing into, what this check size looks like, portfolio construction, leading deals or not leading deals. So we typically like generalist GPs, but we prefer that they lean towards enterprise. Um, it's a little bit of marketplace slash e-commerce and maybe just a touch of tech enabled consumer. So those are the areas that, that we prefer based on where we think attractive opportunities are, as well as where our LPs, some of whom invest downstream, like GB, Intel Capital, Cisco Investments, Royal Bank of Canada, Kapor Capital, we yep. want to make sure that we have identified GPs for our network that are constructing a portfolio of interest, not only to Plexo Capital, where we source deals, but we also provide referrals to our limited partners as well. So we want to make sure that you know the GPs are doing things that are of interest and are within our, our, you know, our sweet spot. The second thing we look for is GPs that are leading deals. So we like GPs to lead deals for three main reasons. Number one, we know that within a good portfolio construction strategy, ownership matters and the ability to hang on to as much ownership as possible in one's place in the preference stack, that's important. Number two, if someone's going to lead a deal, it means that they actually have the conviction to be able to, to go after that opportunity and likely are 
basing it off of a thesis and have looked at a lot of different companies, both early stage and late stage or even public. And to come to the conclusion that this is the right opportunity by a GP, that means something. And number three, the fact that we're going after GPs that are primarily leading the rounds of the deals they're doing on the entry point, it means that it has this effect of minimizing the overlap in the underlying portfolios of our, G our GPs. That's yeah. important because we want to cast as wide a net as possible. We firmly believe in the power law distribution of returns. The yeah. fact that in the early stage, entry points of pre-seed, seed, and small series A's, when you look at the, the median versus the mean, the mean gets pulled far away from the median, kind of changing it from a bell shape to a, a slope shape, the power law right. shape. So right. in order for us to be able to capitalize on that, we need our GPs to lead, um, both to get the ownership, but also we want to minimize the overlap so that we can capture as many of those potential outliers as possible. And then, you know, I think there are some other things. We obviously want to see a good track record to show the judgment, an amazing sourcing network, and really superpowers that the GPs bring to the table. So from the perspective of the eyes of the entrepreneur, the GPs can win deals, right? And entrepreneurs care about hiring people to build the product, having customers to buy the product, and having investors to finance all those activities. So, you know, what are the superpowers that the GPs that are in our network bring to the table that allow them to really be different and to win those deals at attractive valuations? And then obviously, you know, these are multi-decade relationships. So we want to get to know the GP. What are they like? What's their moral compass? You know, are we going to be proud to have people know that we're, we've invested in these, in these GPs? So that's really how we think about it. You know, we bring a, a holistic picture to the table that incorporates some of the more traditional qualitative methods of evaluation and incorporating a lot of data driven and analytical as well. Oh, that's really interesting. I mean, you're basically widening the net to be able to find those those big ones, those wins. Right. And that's the best way to do it. OK, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't want to just just focus on this uh, investing in, in the funds. But let's let's switch gears now. We are at the start of the year summit. I want to switch gears and talk about the startups and, sure. and investing because you're also doing direct investments, which is also unique. Correct. So what are you looking for when you invest in, in, in directly into a startup? So with our model, we're really closely engaged with our GPs to understand what are the trends that they're seeing, what are the most amazing companies that are emerging. And how are these companies performing after the investment has been made? And so we look to be able to identify, okay, which companies are ones that are, are interesting to us, but also at the same time provide, you know, extraordinary return opportunities and can benefit somehow from the value that we have, whether that's our experience coming from the GP side and investing directly or whether that's the ability to tap into the network that we have. You know, in addition to these LPs that are in Plexo Capital investing downstream at a later stage, I mean, these are also, you know, units of a larger company that offer opportunities to be able to, to partner with some of these firms as well. So we really look to understand, you know, how can we identify great opportunities where we can add just a different vector of value we do our own diligence and then we invest directly and appear on the cap table. 
So again, we like companies that are in the areas of enterprise. I mean, some of the things that are interesting to us right now, um, the areas of AI, the ability to be able to, to better understand and predict performance and manage the performance of AI as it becomes more pervasive and incorporated into, you know, broadly into companies to help with their decision making. We like the areas of data tools, um, the ability to be able to understand how to manipulate data better, um, tools for developers. So DevOps and Dev tools are an important area as more and more companies begin to build things internally and manage things as well. So all of those are really interesting areas in enterprise. And we also continue to like marketplaces. I mean, going back to my roots at eBay, you know, I continue to see the power of the, the marketplace model um, as it's applied to many different industries to be able to address, you know, inefficiencies between matching demand and supply across a, a number of industries, both geared towards consumers and businesses. And then there's always going to be some interesting things in the area of, of tech-enabled consumer. But we're, we're pretty bullish right now. You know, I think we're in an environment where since COVID has happened, we've seen the acceleration of some of the things that one would have expected. You know, and you can think of, you know, anything that comes from a screen, whether that's, you know, even right. Netflix, right? Yeah. Zoom, obviously. Right. Um, yeah. Or whether it's, you know, the ability to have one's groceries or food delivered to them. So all of those had already shown extraordinary traction and have only experienced tailwinds since COVID. Um, you know, it's been unfortunate that we've had this be so devastating to some lives. But, you know, we've also seen some bright spots as well in terms of, of opportunities. And I think there are some behaviors that will likely persist even beyond, you know, once we have this completely, um, you know, controlled, that will offer opportunities as well that we might not even be aware of at this moment. That makes sense. I mean, you've definitely seen a change in behavior, which is obviously one of the hardest things to do when you start a company is to try to get somebody to make a change, right? We're, we're all super stubborn <laughs> from a user perspective anyway. And so that's really interesting. Um, you know, what's the, so folks that want to pitch you, you know, what's the biggest hurdle uh, when they when they want to pitch you, or how, how do you like to be approached? Yeah, I think you know there's two things that we typically do. We're looking at GPs, general partners of venture funds. We're also looking at companies. I think there are similarities, and the one thing that I will say is the ability to differentiate on the GP side is mm -hmm. really important, right? Because there's so much cash that's available. And in order to win the most competitive deals, one really needs to be in a position to differentiate. Mm -hmm. And then obviously that's important on the entrepreneur side as well. But for the entrepreneur, the thing that I like to start with is I really want the entrepreneur to explain what is the problem that needs to be solved. And I want that front and center because that's going to set the context for me in terms of how I'm thinking about the pitch of the entrepreneur. I want to understand what is that problem. And then second, I want a very clear and well-articulated description of the persona of the customer that actually has that problem and why they have that problem. And so that lends itself to being in a great position to describe the solution. And then in the description of the solution, you know, help me understand, you know, what are those things that are the most pressing pain points that are actually pretty well 
serviced by the existing solutions? Because that tells me what the table stakes are. And then tell me above and beyond, okay, what are the things that are not served well in this market? And if it's known, you know, give me, give me something that's not widely understood within the industry. What are the secret insights that the entrepreneur can bring to the table? Mm-hmm. What's their superpower? Um, it, so let's dive in a little bit deeper there. So um, you're looking, so what should, what should startups be doing though, when they're trying to like connect with an investor? What, what, um, when they're trying to find the right investor, because I know there's so many different types of investors out there. You're, you're creating a whole new, unique new style of investing with what you're doing at Plexa, which I think is really cool. But what, uh, what should startup founders or entrepreneurs be thinking about when they're trying to find uh, the investor for them? The number one thing is to understand why the investor is the right fit for the company. So what needs to happen is the entrepreneur needs to really go deep on, okay, number one, what have I raised historically? At what point is my company in the life cycle? How much money am I looking, how much capital am I looking to raise in this upcoming round? And then identify those venture capital firms. And and actually, I would even go deeper and go into particular partners. Why is that firm a good fit in terms of stage for the company, the amount of investment? And then also, you know, does the firm have experience, you know, obviously not in a competitor, but at least experience like somewhere in the space so that the firm will have a good understanding and kind of see the opportunity. Those are the things that's most important. The one thing that I see entrepreneurs often do is, you know, come to an investor like myself when it's the wrong stage or the wrong space. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think even the entrepreneur community to be able to network maybe with an entrepreneur that's at a stage or two beyond where the entrepreneur seeking finance currently sits. That way, you know, go to your peers and ask them, hey, who should I talk to? Or say, hey, I really want to talk to this investor. Can I have an introduction? I think those work really well because, you know, entrepreneurs actually end up with a pretty good eye for talent because they're typically pretty guarded with their investor relations and so relationships. And so they just don't want to give an introduction to any entrepreneur. So they're usually fairly discerning. So I would say, you know, go to the entrepreneur community, get recommendations, use Crunchbase, or if one has a subscription to PitchBook, those are also great areas. And then be very upfront and focused in that introduction. You know, provide a very concise um, blurb on the company to really describe what the company's doing as short as possible, how much capital the company's looking to raise, or even let the, the VC know, hey, I'm actually not looking for capital right at this moment but I want to start building a relationship today for that next round that I think that your firm or your, you as an individual will be a perfect fit for. Now, and, and, but don't go in thinking that, okay, now the pressure's off. You know, every interaction with an investor is a pitch. But I, I think you know, those are a few nuggets that I would provide a, as recommendations to entrepreneurs. Those are some great nuggets, especially the last one about, you know, building the relationship first instead of going when you have a, a need. I mean, build the relationship first is a big one, I think. And I appreciate you, change, you know, sharing that, those thoughts and, and insights. Um, unfortunately, we're out of time. I, I wanted to, I've got so much more to talk to you about. So maybe we'll have to just do a phone call or something. But um, thank you so much, Lo, for joining us. How could both uh, fund managers as well as entrepreneurs get in contact with you if they wanted to? Yeah. So just come to our, our website, plexocap.com. 
And we have a submission form for both entrepreneurs and for GPs. Thank you, Lo. Wow, I love hearing about how you're helping both companies as well as emerging fund managers achieve their goals. Really, really cool. And uh, can't wait to continue to watch uh, your journey. All right. Well, that's this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed it and you learned something new or interesting from our conversation. Thanks everyone for listening. Please subscribe to our show and uh, drop us a review if you can. We really appreciate all the reviews we get. And remember, if you have a startup idea and you want to get it started, today is the best day to start up. Not tomorrow, not the next day. Get it going, start iterating, and you'll be off to the races. Until next time, I'm Frank Gruber signing off. Stay safe out there and be well. Thanks for listening to the Startup of the Year podcast. Be sure to subscribe and we'll be back with another episode soon. 